that you're born an Italian if you want your life to be great. See that you're born an Italiano and your life will be great. From the moment you're a small bambino, you eat pizza, you drink vino. Then they make you roly-poly. You get stuffed with ravioli. If your mama's a paisano, you will have the world on a plate. So see that you're born in Italiano and your life will be great. Hey there, Paisani. Welcome back to another episode of the Italian American Podcast. I'm John Viola. And today I get to ride with my co-host and co-pilot, Rossella Rago, the queen of Italian-American kitchens. Ro, good to be back together. Oh my God, good to be back together is not the word. We're talking to people that we haven't seen since sort of pre-COVID times. It's bringing back all these memories of when the world was like normal. I, I can't even handle it. I know, I'm pretty excited. Today is a very nice bookend for us because, like you said, I mean, sort of before covid the last time we saw the two guests that we're going to introduce in just a minute was days before the country went into lockdown. Ro and I were filming greetings from Italian America in the big easy. And uh, every day that we were there, one or more events was getting canceled slowly, but surely we, we luckily got back on the plane. And when we landed, that was it. We didn't come out for months. Yeah, it was insane. I mean, it was like hours before the end of the world or something. There were no masks, there was no like crazy distancing. It just, it felt so different. Yeah, it is crazy to look back. And uh, for those of you who watch us on YouTube, Greetings from Italian America, you can see two episodes made out of our adventure there last year. And both of the guests that we have today figure prominently. Really excited to have them here, not just to share what they're working on now in this new reality, but really to share two people that I think of as really dear personal friends. So it's a great honor to welcome back to the Italian American podcast, my sister from another Mr. Ms. Lena Prima. And for the first time, my very, very dear friend, Mr. Charles Marsalis. So guys, welcome to the Italian American podcast. John Rowe, great to be here. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you for having us on. Anytime we get to catch up is a great pleasure. This was all born out of a conversation I was having with Lena last week and she was sharing some of the interesting stuff you guys are working on. And I just thought it would be really, really great to share with our audience what kind of spark of creativity has been born out of this difficult time because so many people are doing interesting new things that I think are going to have a long lifespan in the Italian American community. And so kind of born out of necessity, a lot of great creativity has come out. So I'm happy to share what you guys are doing. First of all, let me just give a little background to who you are for the uninitiated. Lena's been on the show twice once with Dolores and Anthony at the early stage of the podcast, once with me to talk about her then newly released CD, Prima La Familia. Phenomenal performer. She's the president of Chow, a celebrating Italian-American organizations located in New Orleans, Louisiana. And uh, she is the daughter of the iconic Louis Prima and just a, a wonderful contributor to the Italian-American community. And Charles is the president of the American Italian Federation of the Southeast the AWE News YouTube channel, and the New Orleans Insider Tours app. And his latest app is an Italian-American tour through New Orleans. And you probably remember Charles from guiding Roe and I through the Jazz Museum in New Orleans in our last video. So what resumes you guys bring to the table and what a combination you are. So the newest project that you're sharing, 
Buena Sera, Louisiana. It's a YouTube and Facebook television show that you're doing every week on Fridays. How was this born? Well, you know, Charles and I go back. We met at the Piazza d'Italia. Um, gosh, I don't even know what year that was. I've been here in New Orleans 10 years now, but, and it's right, you know, close to when I first got here, but there was an event there and we met each other there and he told me a quick story about my father coming to his graduating class at Jesuit and speaking to the class. And it was a very funny story because my father was expelled from Jesuit (laughs) for apparently cursing at a priest or something. (laughs) Charles tells me the story that my dad just got revenge that day by by doing his all his double entendre jokes. (laughs) (laughs) Which he was famous for. So he had a catalog of them. So then Charles contacted me shortly after that, and he honored me for Republic Day and also got a proclamation uh, and made Lena Prima Day, which was June 6th. And I was so, I was so moved and to be honored like that and what he put together. And it made me feel sort of like a responsibility to my heritage So he lifted me up and then the ripple effect of that was me starting my chow organization. And then we got together and started doing events together. And Charles has also interviewed me. And I always said to him, we had so much fun together in our interviews. I said, we should do a show together, a TV show together, because I think we have a good charisma, the two of us, you know, it would be kind of fun. And, you know, I mentioned that and then I thought now's the perfect time. So, and he said, yes, and he's done so much work. I mean, an incredible amount of work on culture and history here in Louisiana, and he's got amazing videos on his On News channel, and so we're incorporating some of those, but I should let Charles talk, because I am rambling. No, I love it. I don't you're on the perfect show. I'm like, blah, 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 blah. Pat's blah. not here. The, the, the bar is very low for ramble today. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if Pat was here, we'd be talking about Zeppeli already. That's <laughs> true. And I love Pat. Miss oh, Pat. Yeah. We miss him too, wherever yeah. you are, POB. But, you know, you, you bring up a great point. Charles is a really, to your credit, Charles, a pioneer in the distribution of culture, of history, particularly in online video and all of these shows that you've pioneered and done. And I know it wasn't your original career, but how did you get into creating these kind of shows? And, you know, you've made how many thousands of hours of television here? I mean, how, how did this happen? You know, and we're having a blast with it, John. And I guess Lena and I are the New Orleans version of you and Rose. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and when I saw you two guys and hang out with you last St. Joseph's Day, the chemistry, I think Lena and I have that going on here in New Orleans. So we're having a blast with this. And the first time I I interviewed her, you could see the chemistry was there. But what's been good is it's a few years later. So now we have this content that I've been out in the field meeting people and learning all these little nuances. There's all these little things like my friends now think that I'm the the Italian version of my big fat Greek wedding because I think I take credit. Everything's Italian. (laughs) Hilarious. I actually just bought something right now. There's a little town Lena and I laughed at. Uh, in Mississippi, the catfish capital to world is named Belzoni. You know, and I had to look up who Belzoni was, and turns out he was the real-life Indiana Jones. What? Yes. No way. Yeah, we did a part on our one of our episodes about that, because when he mentioned it, that he had gone there, I'm like, well, where did that name come from? And he said, I'm going to go find out. <laughs> 
That's why I love Charles. You have an irrepressible ability to dig into the deepest case. I mean, some of the stuff you've shared with me over the years, you know, you may be the only other person on the planet that I can speak to about the contingent of soldiers from the Kingdom of the Two Sicilies that fought for the Confederacy. And like, you really do the due diligence. I've used your app and traveled with you around New Orleans. The sites that you point out and you make clear to people, I don't know how you even found half of them. Why don't you tell people before we talk about the show a little bit about the app and some of the work that you've done there? Sure. So, you know, I left New Orleans and, and was out in California for 30 years and I was had a job managing the Northwest. And I really always loved history. So if I was up in Seattle or Anchorage, I'd go look at an old abandoned gold mine or just always would have a couple of hours or a day or two in between appointments sometimes that I had free time. Our headquarters was in Boston and Boston has a yellow paint line through the city that's the Freedom Trail. And I thought New Orleans needed that because our French Quarter is so unique. I mean, there's no place else that has that large of a historic area. So why weren't we tell people, here's your path to go through the French Quarter? And then I didn't even know the phrase Little Palermo until I was like 55 years old and had come back and I found out. So I decided that we need to tell this Little Palermo story. Uh, And then it just grew from there. When you talk about Little Palermo and the idea that, you know, at some point, the majority of the French Quarter was owned by Sicilian immigrants and their descendants, and they were so deeply rooted in the fabric of the life of the French Quarter that the area became known as Little Palermo. I think today, you know, even for me, like coming down to Discover Louisiana all those years ago, it was still a shock for me how Italian New Orleans is and how how Italian it feels when you're there. And I think to you a lot, Lena, because you grew up between New Orleans and Las Vegas, but spent a lot of time of your adult life in Vegas and then moved back to New Orleans. And I know how dedicated you are to our culture, to preserving our traditions, to giving back to the community. Do you feel like New Orleans made you more Italian-American? Uh, without a doubt. You know, something about me that is different than other Italian-Americans um, that I know of is that I come from a pretty broken family. So I was, I felt very alone in the family department and I really wanted to move to new Orleans to connect with my father's side, the roots and and find out more about it. And I was absolutely blown away when I got here and started to realize what happened here, the Sicilian immigration, I knew nothing about my grandparents and my father's side of the family. So I, New Orleans, the Italian American community in New Orleans became my family. And so it did, it connected me to my roots. I did become more, I became passionate about it. And it, it's just in me now. And I feel a total responsibility to carry on that legacy of my father's heritage. You think it changed you as an artist? Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt, I really don't even think I even knew who I was as an artist. I think when I got here, I started immediately to find out as soon as I started playing music here. And even that, I discovered just in the way music is played here by the musicians that are from here, where my father's style came from. And it was a real mix of Sicilian and 
jazz yeah and new orleans jazz because there you know it was a melting pot here when my father was growing up the neighborhoods were filled with a complete melting pot of people from all over the place that landed in new orleans and brought their own musical styles so you know and charles and i were talking about how jazz really has overlooked the italian the sicilian part in it yeah and it's an, it's a big important part and i feel like my dad had that and he brought it all around the country and it was a real New Orleans, Sicilian New Orleans style of music that needs a name. It needs a genre. <laughs> yeah, you're right about that. <laughs> yeah, That's such a great point. I was thinking about that not long ago, you know, like, you know, look, they say, right, jazz, baseball, I think, I think jazz, baseball and, and air travel are like the three greatest contributions America's made to the world. And, you know, rightfully so, the African-American community deserves so much for their contribution of jazz into the lifeblood of the world but at the same time it's always a very controversial assertion when we say but wait there was a considerable portion of sicilians at the heart of this thing too and they brought a lot to the table and people don't think about the indigenous sicilian musical tradition the spoken word poetry tradition of sicilians i mean it's it's very rich and very deep and you never want to feel like you're claiming your fingerprint on something while taking away from someone else, right? That's a horrible position to be put in for, for communities to have this sort of like binary struggle around ownership of something. So you're totally on the head when you say there has to be some way to recognize this branch of the jazz tree that starts from the roots up and, and still exists today with performers yeah. like yourself, you know? Yeah, and you know, he really got, I don't know what the correct term is here, but like the stigma of being a Las Vegas style, like his, what he yeah. was doing. And it wasn't, it was, it was his Italian roots. He was being himself. He was being hundred percent authentic. The music that had the Tarantella in it, but also the, that had the New Orleans jazz and Dixieland mixed in there, as well as some of the Latin rhythms that came from New Orleans too. It was all a combination that made him what he was. And he got this, you know, stereotype of this Vegas music. Yeah. And it wasn't that. You know, I'm like Siri to you guys. If you have a question, you could just say, hey, Siri, <laughs> okay? And, and I'm going to chime in some Siri facts here, right? Please and do. Siri a vowel, so Siri's That's right. Siri's probably Italian. That's true. <laughs> oh, God, Charles. Siri's Italian. Delita has a story about her dad, and I didn't know this, and when she, I just watched a, uh, a special on jazz, and it's, it's about sing, sing, sing. And I loved that song growing up. I mean, and I, my parents were jitterbuggers and they taught me swing dancing. And whenever that song came on, I was always grabbing a girl and dancing. And I was, at that point, I had everybody's attention because most guys can't dance. It's true. And then she tells me the story that her dad wrote it, but I watched the special and they're really talking about Benny Goodman. Yeah. So, so Louis Prima doesn't get credit for a lot of what he did. And uh, it needs to be told that part. But even going back further, Thomas Jefferson actually had 19 Sicilians in 1804 enlist in the Marines to be the Marine band because he didn't like the music of the Marine band. I had no idea. I did not. I knew there were I knew there were Italians at the start of the Marine Corps band. I had no idea that they were brought over on purpose and that they were Sicilian Americans. No idea. And there were 19 of them. I think 10 of them were like 12 with grown men and they brought their kids. So they had guys as young as nine years old become a U.S. Marine to qualify to be in the band because they were bringing the whole families over. And this was during the Barbary Coast Wars of 1804. 
So he said, well, you're over there. Bring me back some Sicilians to be in the band. <laughs> That's right. Well, there's your order form. I'll take 19 Sicilians to make up the official <laughs> Marine Corps band, please. Imagine what that conversation was. It's like, you know, I really don't like the music. We got to do something. <laughs> you know, I hear those Italians. They know how to make some good music. Like, imagine this in, like, colonial times. Like <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Like, what was he basing it off of, right? Yeah. Like, there's no recording to bring back to D.C. And, you know, I think about that a lot, though. Like, that's the thing I love about New Orleans. I mean, I know Ro and I were there last year. I come every year. We're going to be airing this episode a little over two weeks away from what would have been St. Joseph's Day weekend and something I look forward to really after Christmas Eve, the second biggest day of the year for me. And it's because of people like you guys and, and the, the friends and family that we've made in New Orleans. It's a city unique in the United States in that I guess because of its Latin French roots it's Catholic roots it's very sacramental it's very lived outwardly and the idea around jazz music in particular right you can see where the combination of African-American and Sicilian-American culture fits so nicely first of all two groups that were underappreciated in their contributions to the country but forget the hardness and the heartache the beauty of it is because of the cultural conditions around their lives, both are very outwardly lived cultures, right? So when you take to the streets with, be it your religious devotion or your sense of community, that cacophony is so contagious, you could see where these things overlap so well and continue to grow and develop in a place like New Orleans where that is still lived. You know, like you go to Italy and you can still see a funeral procession through the streets or a wedding marching through the streets or just a day, an evening in the piazza where everybody's together and, you know, something kind of magic happens. There's not many cities like that in America outside of New Orleans. Yeah, and that was very well put. That is exactly what it's like here. And that is the attraction and why people want to come here and experience that feeling of freedom like that to express yourself. Um, which, you know, makes it uh, crazy and also, you know, <laughs> it's yeah. like... Yeah, it's it, beautiful, it, beautiful in its craziness. It's beautiful in its craziness. Uh, but yeah, that's the appeal. That is the appeal of New Orleans. You you put that very well. Yeah, John, I'm going to add um, another quick Siri moment. So I don't know if you know this, but two months before Lindbergh crossed the Atlantic, Francesco Di Pinedo flew from Italy across the Atlantic and landed in New Orleans. I did not know that. <laughs> so you are really, you're, you're, you see, that's why I love you. Cause you even, you can even stump me. So when you said things that, that were contributed by us, you said music and air travel. I'm thinking, no, those Italian, everything, <laughs> everything right? Everything's Italian. Um, Lena has done a great job and it was like a Renaissance that came on. Uh, Joe Maselli had it passed away about 12 years ago. And, and Frank about six or seven years ago was ready to step up. And we've seen him re renovate the piazza, the museum. And at the same time, Lena came along and all the Italian organizations in the area, in Kenner and Baton Rouge, had Lena playing. And it seemed like we had this resurgence in New Orleans of being Italian and being proud, the same way her dad did it. And I think in my, my ancestors, dad and grandfather were involved, Frank's dad. So you started seeing the next generation step up. And that's one of the things we need to be doing is, is getting more of the next generation involved. Yeah, you're so right. I mean, longtime listeners of the show know that I, I've been to New Orleans once before, but I really came for the second time and, and for the first time in my Italian-American life with David Greco to participate in his 500-pound 
bowl of pasta with sardines at the marching club St. Joseph's weekend. And it was, as he always tells the story, after Hurricane Katrina, this tradition from the 70s was going to die because of the circumstances in the city. And he came down with Michael Bataluco. He revived the tradition around the pasta, which had kind of been lagging. And he always said they made the world's driest, largest meatball. That was the tradition before. And, <laughs> and you know, you could see that renaissance in the people that have come out and the celebrities that have come out and participated. And I get the feeling that when I'm in New Orleans, the thing I love about it, and I think, Ro, you probably felt this last year while we were there too, it doesn't feel like an Italian-American community that's on the wane or, you know, questioning itself. It feels like one that's continually more proud to take ownership of its Italianness and and share it with the rest of the community. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was just, it was such a vibrant community, such like a, a loudly passionate community. I mean, every Italian-American community is, is a little bit loud and what, but <laughs> New Orleans did it with just a very different flair. Yeah. I don't think a lot of those people had even been to Italy, but they were so connected. I think in the Northeast, it's like, we're very obsessed with authenticity. And it's like, well, we're more Italian than you. And they were like, no, we're Italian American. And we're very proud of this. And it doesn't matter. And and we have our own traditions. You know, the Mudiga from New Orleans is a certain way. It's the New Orleans way. Everything was very, we are New Orleans Italians. And we're so proud to be those people. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, New Orleans is actually a pretty small city, but there's so many Italian families that have businesses that it's just generation after generation, they continue the businesses and the family all, you know, works there and contributes. And so it's great. It's like Italians are a big part, a huge part of the community here and make, make up the community. And then, yes, the New Orleans uh, flair is in everybody. So it's, you know, it's the combination of the two things. Cause you know, that back East, it's the same thing. It's, it's generations of Italian families in their restaurants and delis and businesses, you know, all kinds of businesses and they carry it on. The families are there, but same thing is going on here. We're just kind of in a smaller packed in city. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And New Orleans is one of the oldest Italian-American communities in the country, right? I mean, pre-unification, there's a substantial community there already. So there's something special about it. And you guys have been great champions of it and great friends to me in exploring it. And then through our relationship now, Rosella and the rest of the crew. But, you know, like you said, it's a city that's passing things along in different and exciting ways. And I think it's safe to say one of those exciting ways is the project that you guys have come together around Buena Santa, Louisiana. And first of all, let me say, as somebody who has to create and edit content every week, congratulations for taking on that task, because I'm, I know it's a lot of work to do a show every week. But tell us a little bit about what Buena Santa Senior, sorry, Buena Santa, Louisiana is. Uh, <laughs> I can edit that You're part out. You're just going to I, I know, I probably, right? It's just so, it's in me from my childhood. Yeah. For those of you who live under a rock, I guess, the title Buenasera, Louisiana, is clearly a play on Buenasera Senorina, one of the great Louis Prima songs. Um, 
But tell us a little bit about how this show is framed, what it is you're doing, what you're exploring, what you've seen and done so far, and where you project it going out in the future. Well, the idea just actually came to me. I kind of woke up with it. Buena Santa, Louisiana. <laughs> was going around in my head. And like I told you, I thought it would be great for Charles and I to get together and, and have this little show where we could talk about, you know, some of the things Charles has so much stuff, so much knowledge. He's, he's quite amazing actually. And then all of the things he's already done, these videos and these interviews and all these historic um, markers and things that he's making happen, you know, as what Frank Maselli is doing with the Piazza, Charles is doing this as well in his own way and putting out these wonderful videos. And so I thought it'd be great to have, you know, condense everything into a, an interesting show that's focused on Italian heritage, Italian Americans in Louisiana and out of Louisiana and talk about some of the interesting things, show some of this great footage that Charles has done and highlight these Italian businesses and people in the community and events and things and just try to generate something for our community because of course what's happened with this pandemic has you know sort of everybody's displaced right now it feels like so I felt like it'd be a kind of a a way of bringing everybody together and then also I know so many entertainers and artists and singers that are Italian and Italian American I thought it'd be great to have a little musical feature in there where I'm honoring, you know, an Italian artist and then showing a wonderful performance of theirs or a montage of their work or, or something like that, just to have an interesting and fun show that would appeal to even people who are not Italian or Italian American, which I've gotten some really great feedback that it, that <laughs> I'm not Italian, but I love this show. It's so interesting. You know, so that feels good, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it feels really good. So, and I learned how to edit and do all these things. And so it's really given me a chance to be creative and also still be perpetuating my heritage and legacy. And Charles, of course, is fantastic and wonderful. And he just blows me away. I'll ask him a question and he will just have the answer. <laughs> That's why we keep Pat around. That's exactly that's the same reason. Yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah, true. It's really fun. So, Lena, you have a pat too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I am going to live up to my reputation because one of the things I think that is so cool about New Orleans and the Italian community is the resilience. And one, one of our segments that, that we have, we're going to start airing in probably April, the Italian migration story. And that's one of the things Lena said. We've been building these videos for a couple of years. But, you know, in, in the 1890s, we we're just going to have one episode on the 1890s because that was such a tough time. And the Italians there, I think, passed that on to their kids and grandkids and great grandkids, the resilience. I mean, we, you know, you obviously had the lynching, but then you had yellow fever. You had a financial crisis. There was a hurricane that killed 500 of them in 1893. Wow. And then, then you had... Uh, in 1897, they, they brought, they'd introduced pasta to America and they were bringing all this pasta in and they were shipping it out and they all loved it. So that the U.S. government said, well, we're going to put a tariff on it. We're going to put an end to you guys. Well, they started making, they got the, their machines and they opened up 11 pasta factories in the French Quarter. And that's how it really became Little Italy. It was called the Spaghetti District. So I look today and you see those companies that the descendants are running them. And one of them here has a, a, the cart that the great-grandfather used in the center of the grocery store 
I mean, they still respect and know what their great grandparents did. And that's, I think, a key to the New Orleans Italian community is that you still have those responsibilities to your family. It, it's just been great. But what, what Lena said, and one thing she left out is what, what she does also in our show is she does something about Italy every episode. So there's a segment on Italy. She's got the musicians. I bring in the local where I'll drive around the state and throw that in. So it's like we with two gears that are meeting each other really well with the show. And it's been a great idea to put it together. So we have all these little segments that go in telling the story. And we recently, when Mount Etna erupted, we were able to reach out to there and get somebody to tell us what's going on and send us a little video clip. So we're actually bringing in people that on the show by Zoom, that's just amazing what you can do with technology today. And Lena has done a great job of editing and artwork and logos. So it's coming together quite well. It's amazing what you can do now and how you can not just spread the project, but how you can integrate people in and be up to date and, you know, keeping to that time frame, being out every week, you get to be, you know, contemporary to the moment. And it's a fantastic resource for people because, you know, th- these are stories that do need to be told, be it the history or what's going on in the modern world in Italy and in this community. And, you know, Charles, you're also the president of the American Italian Federation of the Southeast. And I think New Orleans, maybe because I've spent so much time there now, I think of it as Italian. But I've been blown away by how spread out our diaspora is in the Southeast. Can you talk a little bit about the areas outside of New Orleans? Because, you know, the show is Buenasera, Louisiana. But the truth of the matter is there's Italians in the Gulf, in Mississippi. I did a speaking engagement in Biloxi, you know, just Italians everywhere, most of whom I imagine sort of started out in New Orleans. You know, what's the spread? Where are the pockets? Well, well, um, the pockets are, and, and actually I'm wearing a shirt today called Alligator Marsala because, <laughs> you know, the alligator covers Louisiana. So I try to cover Louisiana and Marsala. We had Chef Andrea make a dish using alligator instead of chicken. I didn't want to be chicken marsala. I want to be alligator marsala. You know? I remember this story distinctly from <laughs> our last trip to, yeah. to New Orleans. Distinctly. And uh, I don't know. I couldn't get it. Out. I, I think I was talking about alligator marsala for like a full week <laughs> after I got back to just anyone that would listen because I couldn't believe it existed. And you said it was good, right? It was a little oily, but it was good. It's good. You got to soak it in, in a buttermilk overnight before you fix it the next day. So that's the key. Well, of to course. It. Maybe <laughs> one day when you guys are in town next time, I'll make it for you guys to come over. Right? That would be a worthwhile video project. I would First of all, I would do it anyway, but to get that thing on YouTube would be amazing. Yes, I'm in. You should start a TikTok, Charles, and make <laughs> alligator marsala the new TikTok dish craze. Yeah. The new oh. challenge. That would be great. There you go. That would be a great thing. So... To answer your other question, though, my family went to Monroe, Louisiana, which is about 240 miles north of New Orleans. And I think a lot of things were facilitated because of that 1891 lynching, that there was this anti-Italian sediment grew up because the Italians were becoming, in a way, so successful. Italians were importing bananas. They were the first to start doing a lot of importation uh, from Italy, but also South America. Uh, They had taken and gotten the contracts for the dock workers. And then also a lot had been recruited, actually they were called Patrons, that went to Sicily and said, hey, I have a plantation 100 miles north of New Orleans, it needs 20 workers, who wants to go? And these guys were signing up and getting on the boat and coming over, so they were going to these cities. And, and one of my favorite cities right now is in Arkansas, actually, it's just across the border, 
It's called Lake Village, Arkansas, and it's Sunnyside Plantation. A hundred Italian families were brought in there in 1895. Uh, there's a beautiful museum this lady's put together up there. They're still together. They have their events, and, and they have traced that and, and who, who did what and what happened to their descendants. So you have them spread out because wherever there was a, a plantation, and what happened was the railroads opened up a lot of harvesting. So land that they couldn't get to by boat to bring the sugar cane to the market, you could now get to because you put a rail line in. And there was a big demand for labor. The Sicilians and, and some, some being Italian were the part of it. That's how we got spread out. Uh, some went down to the coast because they had been fishermen in Sicily. So we see a lot along the coast of Louisiana that said, hey, I'm gonna go down to the Gulf of Mexico. Some went up a little bit north, which is where we have this event coming up for this year's St. Joseph, and they became strawberry farmers. So we got spread out really between the Gulf of Mexico and Baton Rouge, which is about 120 miles. And then you'll see pockets in these other out-of-the-way places, like we said, Belzoni. How did they get there? But you'll find it that somehow a word spread and, and 20 people went up there and they formed an Italian community. It's really amazing. I mean, people always say we're like the parsley in the salad, right? Like the pizzemola, we we spread throughout and we make these pockets. And I've always been so pleasantly surprised by the concentration of Italian culture and community sense in all of these different places. And and I'm looking forward to coming back for us to get on the road and explore them with you guys and explore them on your show and our show. And because Ro and I always say we have some disease that we just can't stop doing this stuff. I, I'm sure you guys have it too. Yeah. But this is what we love. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the reception that you're getting to the show from the communities, from the different communities. Are people appreciative? Are people encouraging? Are you getting a lot of recommendations of things, topics and things like that? I mean, how's the community responding? Well, we're we're so new right now. We The response we've gotten has been great. But I think it's really great what we're doing because people don't really realize, a lot of people don't realize the Italian heritage in Louisiana. You don't think of Louisiana as Italian. So I think it's going to be interesting to a wider audience of folks, Italian and non-Italian, just the interesting history of Louisiana and its Italian roots. Yeah, it's such a special place. It really is. And Lena, you were telling me, you know, you've got such diverse segments on the show. Yeah. Like Charles says, everything from news in Italy and uh, the music and the culture and the history that he's put together over the years. But you were telling me, and I, I, I was looking forward to us saving it for this episode. Uh, you had a family mystery solved by Charles on the show, right? Is that right? <laughs> Actually, it was solved by... I'm following a page on Facebook called Vincenzo's Plate. Oh, okay, right. Oh, I know that guy. Yeah, he's he's in Australia. He's hilarious, and he's got a great personality, and he puts out these, you know, he's cooking. So during Mardi Gras, in my news feed comes this video with Struffoli, and I <laughs> I was trying to solve this with you, John, that my I told you my dad called Struffoli Chichities, and he kept saying every Christmas, it's traditionally a Christmas goodie, he would say to my mom, I want chichities, I want <laughs> chichities, make me chichities. And my mother had no idea what he was talking about. So I saw this video and he's making truthfully, but underneath in the caption, it had some hashtags. And one was Abruzzo, hashtag Abruzzo, hashtag chichidi I never heard of that. And I went, oh, 
oh, <laughs> I freaked out. And so I started Googling and I went on YouTube and I found some videos, people speaking in Italian in Abruzzo and saying Cicciricchiata <laughs> with the Struffoli, making it during carnival. So I was so excited that this mystery got solved all these years later, thanks to Vincenzo. Ro, did you know about this? I did not. Okay, so like you're you're my Siri for Italian culinary history. So if you don't have it, then I, the the fact that you could find that just randomly through a hashtag makes me very very happy. Yes. Yeah, he's good, Vincenzo. He's good. He's got a good following. He's got an accent. You know, I don't have yeah. a good enough accent. I think that's. <laughs> I, I say this as somebody who comes from the same cradle as you. I, I think you got a great accent. No, it's uh, not jazzy enough. See that pasta <laughs> queen out there? She's got a good accent. You know. <laughs> That's hilarious. I think I got to start doing a fake act, like a faker accent. <laughs> oh, yeah, do your I'll Italia announcement accent when you do stuff. Nobody likes that accent. It's annoying. <laughs> I like it. Signori e signori, benvenuti al volo 0545 Roma Fiumicino. Vi preghiamo di allacciare la cintura e mettere la schiena, la, la, il sedile della schiena in posizione corretta. Right. <laughs> I, just, I think you should do that for all your shows. I think that's perfect. You know, it's funny you bring up the accent because somebody told me once, and I, I can't find the validation for this, and they had a whole sociological reasoning behind it. But apparently our Brooklyn accent and your New Orleans accent are two of the closest accents interrelated in the American um, catalog of accents, I guess. Wow, that's interesting. Charles? Well, I Siri, Siri to the rescue. You know, uh, when I was out in San Francisco area, the Bay Area, Silicon Valley, people said, you don't have a New Orleans accent. And I think it let me get into a couple of businesses that maybe had I walked in with a more Southern accent, they might have questioned what I was about. But, you know, the Irish, the Italians, the same people settled New York that were settled in New Orleans. So I think over the years, there was the same blending to create that New Orleans accent that created the, the New York accent. And, and oddly enough, sometimes people thought I had more of almost a Boston accent was kind of close to so the, again, the Italians and the North End, you know, it was the same type of mixture, I believe, going on with both of those to create the accent. I, I, I do want to mention something. You know, we're all involved with the ISDA. And we just had a great conference call nationwide with that. With these clubs that we have around the state, John, we've opened up two ISDA lodges. And what's great is many of these clubs we'd seen die down. So as I'm traveling the state, meeting with people that put on the St. Joseph altar, we're signing up members. And we're actually having some fun. Uh, one of our patron saints of Sicily is St. Rosalia. Sure. So we named one of them after St. Rosalia, who actually came about during the famine. Uh, an epidemic, excuse me, a pandemic. And then the other one is St. Expedite. That's a saint that's a mystery to me. So here you go. <laughs> so St. Expedite, when you think about expediting something, there's a statue that was sent down to New Orleans with some other statues going to a church. And people thought that that was actually was stamped Expedite, meaning to rush it to New Orleans. Oh, come on. <laughs> I swear. This is at Our Lady of Guadalupe Church. It's on Rampart Street. Next time you're in town, I'll take you in there because we were right across the street last time you were here. There's a statue of St. Expedite there, but I found out in Independence, Louisiana, which was heavy Sicilian, there was a St. Expedite Society. And St. Expedite also is a patron saint of getting through a financial crisis. Wow. So I guess in the 30s during the Depression, they created this society and it kind of died down. So we brought back the St. Expedite Society. And that is for the southeast part of Louisiana, St. Rosalie's in the north, 
but we, we're now going to have this jazz festivals being put on by the St. Expedite Society of the ISDA in Louisiana. So we, we, the ISDA is a great opportunity because it's, it's both working on the modern side for social media, but still doing things in print, the newspapers. And so it's a great opportunity to keep our heritage alive. Yeah, we had Basil Russo on a couple of weeks ago in preparation for the meeting that we were all part of on Saturday. And uh, it's a deserving plug for a group that we're all part of. You know, we started our lodges here. Uh, Ro and I are part of the New York City Lodge. And Pat has a couple of, I think, two or three lodges they've started in New Jersey. And Pat's the Grand Poobah for New Jersey, so he loves that. Uh, I've been preaching that gospel everywhere I go because a lot of these smaller societies that have suffered through attrition or lack of interest over the years, I say to everybody, like, you should become a part of the ISDA because, first of all, it's a wonderful group of people. They do a lot of interesting stuff, but they're really focused on the future and growth. And it does revitalize a local group to feel like you're part of something bigger and you have that connectivity. And I, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I love the fact that they have a million people on their Facebook and they have, you know, the most visited website in Italian America. But at the same time, I love getting the newspaper because I like the articles. It's really interesting. It's a little bit of a throwback. And at the back of it, you can see what's going on in every lodge. And, you know, we always say on the show, we're not here to preserve culture. We're here to evolve it forward. And that's a, very distinct difference that people lose sometimes. If you try to preserve it, you're going to crush it to death. If you are willing to evolve it forward and and be forward thinking, it will grow because there's so much love and dedication in our community. And I feel like the ISDA is a group that has clearly seen that message and then lived it in their leadership. And uh, I love the fact that we're all part of something like this. And I highly encourage anybody out there who's a member of an Italian group that is sort of operating alone in the wilderness. It doesn't take anything away from your independence. It's very easy to become a lodge and it gives you so much connectivity and, and you see what's going on in the rest of the country. It's just really encouraging. You know, what, what I do is, is uh, Basil lets me write a half page, sometimes a full page on what we're doing in Louisiana. So I did get all of the presidents of the different clubs. There's 20 to join. And then I write in there what they're doing. So if we have we're really big here on All Saints Day. There's an event that, that happens at the cemeteries. We talk about that on November issue. We talk about, you know, the, there's a big thing at Christmas time. The Elanians put on something big, a black tie event. So we're able to every month kind of highlight a different organization because they all joined. And it was $25 to join. Yeah. I mean, you get a newspaper every month for a year for $25. I mean, you know, it, it, that's a deal. Let the games begin. Mediaset Italia has the most exciting, high-octane, full-drama game shows and reality TV this fall. With new seasons of Celebrities Stuck Together 24-7 on Grande Fratello Vip. Testing your smarts on Chi Vuole Essere Milionario with Jerry Scotti. And the biggest talents in Italy discovered with Tu Si Che Vales. Plus, more trivia tests on Caduta Libera and important stories and exclusive interviews with live Nonne Ladurso. Direct TV has the Italian TV you love. Get Mediaset Italia a la carte for $10 a month plus taxes or the Italian Direct package for $20 a month plus taxes. Visit directtv.com forward slash Mediaset or call 1-877-912-912. 2702 to learn more and subscribe. World Direct a la carte service requires activation of a qualifying base package. 
For new customers, equipment lease, activation, early termination, equipment non-return, and other charges and restrictions apply. Call 1-877-912-2702 or visit att.com for full details. And, you know, you're speaking of clubs. Lena, you started Chow New Orleans um, probably three or four years ago, if I'm correct. And uh, you were sharing with me that you've just made an evolution forward in it. You want to tell everybody about that? Yeah, when I first started the organization, um, I think it was 2016, I called it Chow Women because basically I formed it to honor Italian-American women and young women in the community and also pick a woman who is doing exceptional things and make her an honorary Italian, a woman that was not Italian, make her honorary Italian so she could be the diva. <laughs> the <laughs> That's diva a wonderful thing to do. But because of what Charles was doing and had done and how it made me feel and the ripple effect of that, I wanted to be a part of perpetuating that because when you recognize someone and I saw that on a large scale because I had come to the National Italian American Foundation Gala, I believe that same year. And I was so inspired and energized when I came home to see it on a large scale what it did and how it made me feel. It was so, I was so emotionally affected by it. I thought the ripple effect of that would be wonderful. So there's a lot of Italian American women who own businesses and who are doing things um, the Kenner Festival, there's women running that and making that go and, you know, honor these wonderful women and these young women who are doing amazing things. And then it lifts everybody up. So that's what I initially started it and wanted to do there. Charles, who <laughs> Charles and I have inspired each other to keep going all these years. I remember Charles, when you were saying you weren't sure if you're going to stay in Louisiana. I'm like, you can't leave. You cannot leave. You are doing so much for our Italian community. And then the pandemic happened. I said, Charles, I don't think I can keep this chow <laughs> women thing going. It was, you cannot, you have to keep it, Lena. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I thought I'm going to change the name to just chow incorporated celebrating Italian Americans organization this way. Because there's already the Elanians, which is a women's organization, I don't want to be any sort of competition with another organization. I just want to celebrate our heritage. I can still have the Chow Women Awards, but we can do so much more. I can do so much more if it's Chow. So I, I officially legally changed the name. And it actually feels, I feel more energy behind that now. And it feels like a re- you know, re-energizing of my organization. And so I'm looking forward to whatever I'll be able to do together with Charles going forward. Well, you know, I mean, we talk about how certain groups are now so forward thinking and, and youth-based and their membership is young. And obviously your energy is attractive to youth and you're dedicated to young people. But it's it's interesting to think about the dynamic around gender in our Italian-American community we were speaking a little bit before we got on mic about some of the challenges that groups are having evolving forward and, and how some of them still want to keep this wall between men and women. And I, you know, I can understand nobody would ever accuse me of being a progressive. I'm sure my wife wouldn't, but I think of myself as pretty egalitarian. And like, I can understand if you want to create a women's group that's dedicated to women because there's a certain sense of 
frankly, catch up in the celebration of what women have done. I think there's, there's ways to go to really recognize women. And I think a lot of times in, in communities like ours, they get overlooked. But there's also the kind of dark side on the other side where a lot of these groups still don't even let women participate. And, you know, it was only last year that the Order of Sons of Italy changed their name to Order of Sons and Daughters. It feels like sometimes we're behind as Italian Americans when it comes to really embracing everybody's participation in the community in modern ways, particularly when it comes to gender, I think. Yeah, you're really right about that. And um, again, that's just the old ways that haven't evolved forward because I guess the younger generations have not all achieved higher status in these organizations or clubs to where they can make some sort of change happen. So hopefully it will evolve more in the direction of including women. But you're right about that. And I think that's really why that's happening. It's just the old ways are still in these organizations. You make a brilliant point. Before accusing Italian American groups of being gender unequal, the biggest accusation I should make is age unequal because, you know, yeah. the presidents of a lot of these clubs are in their 80s and 90s. And like, yeah. there must be lifetime appointments, some of these positions, because I mean, I faced it. I was 28 when I became the president of NIAF and right. they still put me on the youth committee of everything. I'm almost 40. You know, it's like, yeah. I don't know when you become an adult in Italian America, but at some point I, I got to qualify. But yeah, I think you're absolutely right. The leadership of the community is a much older generation. And I, and I think sometimes that's wonderful because we inherit so much of their dedication and what they experience in a different era of Italian America. But at the same time, you have to have somebody who's willing to open the door a little bit to younger people, to women, to people of different backgrounds, different experiences, and say, hey, you know, your version of Italian America is as wonderful and authentic as mine, and let's explore it together. Because it's that dynamism that makes you want to come back, you know? Yeah, absolutely. In Monroe, my grandfather was very instrumental in forming the Italian clubs of North Louisiana in the 30s. But as I look at the minutes of those times, there was a ladies' auxiliary. So you had these two separate entities that went on for decades. And then as they struggled, they never, too much pride. Nobody said, we're going to become the Italian sons and daughters. Yeah, they would totally right. Until they, until they collapsed. Yeah, it's completely right. I see it. I mean, I see it in clubs here in the city, 125-year-old clubs where they still have, you know, the men are the shareholders of the club and the women are in the auxiliary and they work together and they plan everything together. But there's always that kind of weird separation. And it's very difficult to change when there's a bottleneck to leadership of these organizations. And, And a lot of other communities are just better at it than we are, you know, acknowledging that like, by the time you get to that point in your life where you're running something, if you want it to survive, you're not planning it for the things you like. You're planning it for the things that the younger generation likes or that they're interested in. And that's a lesson we really have to learn. John, I'm going to add with Lena's group. She filled a, another void in that out in San Francisco, the, the council there would have a, a Republic Day event. And that was a big deal. When I came back to New Orleans, we never celebrated Republic Day. So Chow took on Republic Day, and Lena's done a great job that we educate people about what Republic Day is to the Italian community. Local DJs have interviewed her about it. The turnout's been great. So it's been a great way for us to create a Republic Day event here on June 2nd. And maybe because it's kind of hot in June, or maybe it's because we have St. Joseph's Day, but we weren't being educated on what, you know, we, we know Cinco de Mayo, we know Bastille Day, Independence Day. 
uh, Republic Day is right in the middle of that. So we're now working on letting people know what Republic Day is. And, you know, you talk about Republic Day. It's another great example of the frozen in time model and how we blend with the contemporary world and, and the future. Because when our ancestors left, in New Orleans case, there was no Italy for a lot of them. For most Italian Americans, there was no Italian Republic because it didn't come into being until 1946. So we, as we always say, have these sort of mosquito in the amber traditions. So it's not indigenous to us to celebrate Republic Day, but I love the fact that there are communities out there who are making an effort. And I think the Italian government really in certain cities needs to do a better job as well about making it a point of reference for what modern Italy is. And it's a great point for us as a community that left so many decades ago to reconnect to modern Italy and to see it for the first time in a different way, because this is the equivalent of Bestial Day or Cinco de Mayo. It's just that those holidays came with the ancestors of those communities and Republic Day didn't come with us. So if we can embrace it, approach it with new eyes and sort of see that it represents a chance to explore modern Italy. And frankly, hey, it gives us another day to celebrate in June. What's better than that, you know? Absolutely. And I didn't even know about uh, Republic Day. Charles is the one who introduced me to that. And, and I just was so excited about it and thought it is really important. And we do have to make this day and have a celebration on this day. So it, I think it is. It's wonderful to do it. And New Orleans has the Honorary Council, which is Frank Maselli. We've talked about the Maselli family so many times throughout this episode, uh, I should have Frank on at one point because he and his dad have meant so much to the community in New Orleans and the national community as well. Yeah. But, you know, I find it really fascinating because when I went to visit the Piazza d'Italia and the, and the cultural center that Frank and his family created there, there was a, an oil painting of a gentleman from like the 1860s. And I, you know, I looked up at it and I thought maybe it was some early Italian American businessman or whatnot. And I said, you know, Frank, who's in that oil painting? And he said, that is the last council general from the Kingdom of the Two Sicilies in the United States. He was in New Orleans and was the last to leave, the last to resign his commission after the Italian unification. And I started doing some exploration around the diplomatic relations between the Kingdom of the Two Sicilies and the U.S. And you come to realize that that consulate in New Orleans was immensely important in the final decades of the existence of the kingdom, because if they were emigrating, which it had a very small immigration, it was New Orleans that they were emigrating to. So that whole relationship between Italy and the city, it's one that deserves attention today because it's a long and deep relationship. John, I'll add uh, another Siri moment here. Uh, <laughs> when you're in Jackson Square, in the heart of, that, of, of the French Quarter, there's a big statue of Andrew Jackson, but in the corners of the square are four statues to the seasons. And they were actually donated in 18... 18- 40 by the uh, the council for Sardinia really who was there in New Orleans on yeah really and that is actually the first public art that existed in the state of Louisiana wow that, that shows the connection that we that, that New Orleans has that we had representation uh, not not from Sicily or Rome that was from Sardinia the guy was and uh, and he had this art and he donated to the city. And that was the first art that went up publicly in the city. Wow. That's unbelievable. That is. I've, you know, I've been a hundred times to Jackson square. I've never even thought to, I mean, yeah. every time I'm with you, Charles, I get new places I got to visit on my next trip. So it's a great reason to keep coming back. This is on the app. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, and it's in the corners. So when you see the corners, they're not big statues, but they're still about life size. And, uh, 
you know, they're, they're there and, you know, they're in the background, but if they were gone, you'd miss them. Yeah. And uh, we researched them and found out there's not very little information on them, but we found enough to show where there was a newspaper clipping about it. And then we researched this guy, there's condos with his name on it towards the, uh, the lower end of the quarter where uh, the Beauregard Kai's house is and the St. Mary's churches. He's got, they, his, he owned a lot of real estate in the area. That's really amazing. I, <laughs> I, I just love the fact that there's so much, I mean, our passion is like yours going around and spotting these things and documenting them and doing our show. And yeah, new Orleans is just a wealth that we can keep coming back to. You'll, you know, it's like, of course you guys can do a weekly show about this place. You'll never cover it all. The, our, our fingerprint is so much. Exactly. Yep. So tell me before we let you guys go, where can the audience find the show and how can they find out about the other stuff that you guys are working on? Yeah, the show has got several ways to find it. We have a Facebook page, Buenasera, Louisiana. It's on my YouTube channel, Lena Prima channel. I also have it on my website, lenaprima.com. If you sign up for my email list, I will send it to you every week. You'll get our latest episode. Um, Charles is also posting it on his YouTube channel. Which channel is that, Charles? It's uh, Well, I have two channels. This channel that the show is posted on is Sicily Journal by Alligator Marsala. That's perfect. <laughs> That's a nice short name. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's a, it's a Sicily Journal. But what I found out when I put in Sicily Journal, that shows up that there's a lot of stuff in Sicily called Sicily Journal. Now, I also have a SicilyJournal.com WordPress site where I write about the activities of all of the organizations going on in the Federation. So I wanted stories about them and also a story describing who they were. So that YouTube channel has it. But on the other channel that I have is where Lena, your interview with the interview with Lena and your interview, John are, and we're, we're going to make eight to 12 half hour playlists. but each, you can look at them individually because most, most of our interviews are about seven minutes when we get done editing. And we, we currently have 30 Italian interviews up there right now. And that's awe.news. And our odd news is the YouTube channel, but people, if they want to hear like, like, you know, I, you, John, you were telling me a lot about, we had a very political talk about Garibaldi and Jose, you know, you, you educated me on that when you were in, we, when we were talking, Lena has a great interview about uh, Republic day and the event that we did with, with her and a few other things. I interviewed her about her dad. That's all there on odd news. Yes, and we're also being featured on Mardi Gras TV, which is MardiGrasTV.com. And, and, you know, you can see many other uh, local New Orleans musicians and things on that, as well as our show weekly on there. So I guess my final question to both of you is, if you had to pick your favorite battery recharging Italian spot in the city, where would it be? Gosh, battery recharging. Like, where do you recharge your Italian battery? What makes you leave feeling like, yeah, I can still put up with my own whacked out people for another, you know, six weeks or whatever it is. Where, <laughs> where do you re-energize your Italianist? What, what's the place, your favorite place? Mine is the Hotel Monteleon because so much of my family history there, and that is the oldest family-owned hotel in New Orleans, and, it, and they are an Italian family. So for me that's the place i feel i feel so much uh history when i'm in there and i my dad played there and being part of that family so that's it for me 
You know, I am going to agree with you, Lena, because I mean, I, I've only been to New Orleans once, but that uh, experience watching you play at the Hotel Monteleone and the carousel bar and just the energy in there and all the cocktails, well, maybe it was the cocktails, but I had a fabulous time. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, I, I would go back in a heartbeat and being from New York, you know, we have like, you know, we have bougie standards of lounges and this was just fun and just no holds barred. And I think me and John sang, I think it's on video. I don't <laughs> yeah. see it, Yes, but it, it's just, you, you end up having the time of your life yeah. at that event. Yeah, absolutely. That was, that, that is a great place. I, I love actually, I was, I was there New Year's Eve with Lena right before COVID and I, I it's a great place to recharge. So I'm going to be a politician, John, because I just came from Andrea's restaurant where I had lunch, but I, I have my handful of, of Italian restaurants. I go to Fausto's, I go to Tutoni's, and I go to Norjo's. So there's a, there's all, each one has a specialty. If I want a muffalata or where do I want spaghetti and meatballs or do I want uh, a Creole Italian dish? I have all these little nuances and I actually go a place that they have chicken marsala. They don't have the alligator there. <laughs> <laughs> not not yet. Ask, they have alligator <laughs> marsala. <laughs> I keep pushing them. That's why I go. Uh, but, but, uh, and then the piazza, the museum in there, when Frank has an event, that is a place to recharge. He does an opera there every year that is just phenomenal. And that's a great, great way to bring back your Italian batteries. Yeah. You're not kidding. We're very lucky to have a central place like that in the city it's just a wonderful center that they've created there. And uh, for those of you that are going to be in New Orleans in the future as travel returns, it's a great spot to start your tour. And you can always tune into Buenos Aires, Louisiana and see what's new and what uh, spots you need to find. We've got our top five on YouTube available on our Greetings from Italian America. So plenty of recommendations. And I highly recommend you download Charles's app because it is a great walking tour. And the Siri of Italian New Orleans will keep teaching you, continually updating the itinerary that you have to follow. So guys, you know, I love you both very, very much. It's a wonderful opportunity to do this together. And, you know, maybe we just do Zoom for fun sometime. Yeah. Be great, John. Be great. That'd be great. Thanks so much for having us on the show. We appreciate it. Well, thank you guys for all you do. And Ro, I don't know about you, but as soon as the, the opportunity arises, I'm ready to go back. Absolutely. I'm praying for St. Joseph Day this year, but I don't know. Yeah. Ro, Ro, that was such a, a thrill, escorting you and John around the Bracados and the Jazz Museum and watching your interaction. You got to come back here soon because you definitely, the two of you brought a lot of, a, a lot of New York Italian to New Orleans. We need it. Listen, <laughs> I was supposed to be in the parade, okay? John told me to buy a white dress. I bought a white dress. I yes. found it the other day. I'm like, what the hell is this for? And then I was like, oh, I was supposed to be on a parade. I was supposed to like be on a float. So I still got the white dress. So I'm ready. Seeing as it's two weeks away, we're going to have to be, it's going to be 54 weeks before we can get you in that white dress, but we will do it. I promise. I better still fit into it. So. <laughs> All right. Well, if you don't, we'll, uh, we'll give you a diet of strictly alligator Marsala. I'm sure <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure the health the health benefits of a solely alligator diet will be uh will be apparent. <laughs> so make sure you go out, watch the show. Definitely if you haven't already, you gotta download Lena's last couple CDs. They're really, really wonderful and a great dose of Italian America. So I hope everybody has enjoyed this dive into friends that we love, a city that we love, and a place that I think every Italian American needs to explore for themselves. So from all of us, the Italian American podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Ciao, guys. Ciao. <laughs>